Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. Today's message is entitled, A Model for Our Faith. And now with part one, here's Pastor Ralph. We're looking at a person who has faith that's a lot like ours. Faith that grows uh, as, as it expands and shrinks. And as, as we look into Abraham's life, we find out that his first real encounter with God came because of a problem in his life. Abraham is, is, is like a lot of people that you know. There's a lot of people that would, would say that they're, they're spiritual people. And you talk to them about Jesus Christ or something, and they go, oh, I'm not into that. But I'm, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I'm into spirituality. And, and when you get to talking about it, it's, it's an ill-defined hodgepodge uh, that they've created themselves. You know, when you stop and really think about God, if, if God isn't your creator, he isn't much of a God. If God is something that you have defined in your head, uh, He's your creation rather than you being His creation. And if you have to pray to a God that you made, eh, that's a little shaky. Because if you've got to pray to a God that you made, why bother? Why not just fix your problems yourself? Because a God that you made has probably got very limited ability to do much of anything. Abraham was an idolater. By definition, an idolater prays to gods that they made. Or that they bought from their neighbor who manufactured them down the street. And so Abraham was in much the same situation as a lot of people that we talk to today who, who seem antagonistic to the Lord. And, and sometimes we get frustrated and that's a big mistake. You know, we get angry at people because they haven't come to a place where they know God in the way that we know Him. And we, we have ways of just kind of pushing them out of our life. And it's exactly the opposite of what we should do. We should recognize, here's a person who's expressing spiritual hunger. That's why they do the things that they do. That's why they, they delve into the things that they delve into. And, you know, there's this whole rise of witchcraft going on in America. If you look at the media, everywhere you look, at, you, you turn around, you see uh, uh, what we would see as a negative spirituality. But, you know, those people are not the enemy. They're prisoners of the enemy. They're people who, who Satan has blinded their eyes. And uh, we ought to take another look. We ought to realize that these are our friends. These are our family. And, and we need to hang in there in a relationship with them. And, and probably the best thing that you can do is pray for somebody that they come to a crisis experience where they're willing to reach out to God. And then at that point, maybe ask them, can I pray with you or can I pray for you? A lot of us are a little chicken when it comes to praying with somebody, especially somebody that's not walking with the Lord. But it's, it's not that hard to say, you know, I'm a person who prays and I see your problem. Could I have your permission to pray for you tonight before I go to sleep? Because as soon as you do that, You've helped that person to put their focus on God and go, well, are you there or aren't you? And that's kind of where Abraham was at. He was at a point of desperation and, and God met him. Abraham didn't have a child. And he lived in a society where ha- having kids was something that was very much valued. In fact, you were looked down on by your neighbors if you didn't have children. And so Abraham was an old guy, too. And his wife was beyond the age of childbearing. And he's, he's praying and he's seeking God because of this crisis in his life. And he's, he's, he's gone through all the, the litany of the idols, and they've all let him down. And now he's kind of in one of these deals as anybody else out there. And God comes to him and speaks to his heart. And as he does so many times, the, the first encounter that we have with God is at a point of, of material need in our life. I mean, people don't just become very esoteric and decide, oh, I think I want to become a Christian today. There's usually something that drives us. It's pain in our life or it's opportunity. On the negative side, it's pain. I lost my job. I broke up with someone that I love dearly. My marriage is a wreck and I don't know what to do about it. I I found my spouse is cheating on me. Oh God, can you help me? On the other hand, there's, there's the opportunity. I have this great idea for this business. 
I have the super opportunity to, to uh, promote my business. I'm, I'm, I have a great uh, challenge here. I need to find the right employee to fit into this slot because if I do, we're off to the races. We can do these things. You know? and, and on the one hand, it's pain. On the other side, it's opportunity. But it drives us beyond ourselves. It drives us beyond our limited scope of, quote, spirituality to a place where we're going, is anybody really there? And then God comes and he speaks to us and he says, I'm here and I'm with you and I'm, I'm willing to, to, to work things out in your life. And, and as, as we see in the life of Abraham, we're going to study it through the summer. We see that, that God meets him at a place of, of, of physical need. And then because Abraham believes in God's promise before he receives the thing God's promised to him, that God says he deposited it to Abraham's account as righteousness. In other words, God says, because you've believed in me, I'm going to forgive you everything wrong you ever did. I'm going to, I'm going to square all accounts, and you and I are on the same page together. Uh, we're going forward. And so there's this process the Bible calls salvation. Because when God accepts us and God forgives us, he also changes us from the inside out. And, and the first evidence of that is that the Lord puts a new value system in a person. You know, you can be a person who was involved in some pretty miserable things that you called pleasure. And you have this encounter with God. And, and suddenly you're all frustrated because those things that gave you pleasure before are things that you look down on now and you don't want to do anymore. And you, you begin to see the Lord uh, bringing some positive sense of change in your life. All of that happened in the life of Abraham. But then as you go further in the life of Abraham, God not only blessed him with what he was looking for, but God had a plan for that blessing. God had a, a blessing for Abraham, but then through that blessing, God was going to bless other people. And as Abraham is told, you'll not only have a child, you'll have a nation that's born to you. And then out of that nation, I'm going to raise up one person that's going to be a blessing to the whole world. And God promises Abraham what became the, the Israel. All the Jewish people in the world come from Abraham, but out of Israel comes this, this leader who the Bible said would rise, would show people how to walk, how to live, but would actually end up canceling our sin. And so there's a pattern in our life. We come to the Lord in a point of need. He makes a promise to us. He responds to us. And he draws us into life with himself. And then he has further plans. God is smart. He wants to bless you so that his kingdom will go forward. And, and, and in the midst of answering your prayers, he's going to use you to bless other people. And so we end up becoming a part of his handiwork. In Ephesians, the Bible says that we become his masterpiece. That he's working us and making us into something that's useful for him. And so everybody wins in this picture. And as we look at Abraham, the model of faith, uh, one of the things that I, I want to really, really lean on in this study is how uppy-downy Abraham is. Because I think there's hope for all of, of, of you and me. You know, that, that we have our times where uh, sometimes it, it, life looks pretty dim and, and our faith becomes fairly, uh, we would say, weak. And, and yet what you're going to see in the scripture today is that running through Abraham's life is a thread of confidence that God could do what he wants. I mean, sometimes we're into, well, God can do what he wants, but he probably won't do it for me. You know, you have a down day and you get that way. But, but Abraham is held up as a model to us because there's something that's consistent that runs through the whole life here. What we will see in Abraham is in the beginning he flip-flops around a lot. At the end of his life, he's grown very, very strong in his walk with God. And, of course, that's the goal for us. Well, let's take a look at it. Romans 4. Um, I'm not reading the whole chapter. In fact, I'm not even reading the, verse, the verses that say that he's a model for our faith. You can go read that in, in the, the middle. Um, probably around verse 18 or 19, it tells us that he's, he's the father of all who believe. Uh, in other words, he's the model for all who believe. But verse 1 talks about our being saved by faith, 
and not by good works. It says Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. In other words, he's the father of all Jewish people through his son uh, Isaac and through Isaac's son Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, which gives us the name of that nation. And then it says, what were his experiences concerning this question of being saved by faith? What happened to Abraham? Because that will give us a clue as to what will happen to us. Was it because of his good deeds that God accepted him? The word good deeds could be translated legal obedience. Was it because he obeyed the Ten Commandments? He obeyed the religious rules. Is that why he was acceptable to God? Um, And then it says, if so, he would have had something to boast about. He could brag about what a good job he did at religion or what a good job he did at keeping the rules and being a perfect person. And then it says, from God's point of view, Abraham had no basis at all for pride. Abraham already is like you and I. There's no basis for pride in our life. There's nobody in this room that ever has been or ever will be perfect. We all know that we haven't been. Some of us have questions about, will we be? Will becoming a Christian bring me to some place of sinless perfection? Will growing deep with the Lord and getting strong with Him bring me to a place where I never... I never violate God's commandment. Well, don't think so. Not going to happen here in this world. God doesn't save us on the on the the basis of our works or our goodness. It's what He does for us that counts. Verse three: The Scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, and so God declared him to be righteous. Now we're going to read those words about five times today in this short passage of Scripture. God declared him to be righteous. If you have a pen in your hand, you might want to write a cross-reference right next to it. It's Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that is being quoted here. God declared him to be righteous. God said, all accounts are settled. God said, I'll cover the deal. I'll cover the debt. Because that's really what happens. Is that that God is, you could translate this, that God is depositing righteousness to his bank account. In other words, there's a deficit. It's as though there's not enough money in your bank account to cover a check. And somebody comes along and says, I'll cover it for you. I'll, I'll cover, I'll put enough funds in your account to cover it. God says, I'm putting righteousness in your account where unrighteousness was there before. Why? Because Abraham put his confidence in God. It's exactly the opposite of sin. The Bible describes sin as, as falling short of a target. In fact, the, the Greek word for sin, hamartia, translates into English, S-I-N. And both of them were words describing archery. You know, shoot an arrow at a target. Now, we don't have enough room in this auditorium to use bows and arrows. But see that clock on the wall over there? That tells me I need to make sure I hurry up and get you out of here on time. Uh, that's, let's say that that's a target. And let's say we're back in the Los Angeles Times, uh, where I used to work a long time ago while I was going to college, and we didn't shoot bows and arrows. We would take rubber bands and affix paper clips to them, and then we would wrap them over a pinpoint, and we'd pull it back, and we'd shoot. Uh, One time I let go, and the thing didn't didn't hit what I was going to hit, and and then I realized that the paper clip had shoved itself all the way through my finger, and my fingernail was just dangling the rubber band there, but we won't get into that. And we shoot the rubber band at the target and the paper clip, but we don't shoot, we don't pull the thing back far enough to hit the target. It's not just that we missed the target, it's that we didn't try hard enough, we didn't shoot far enough, we fell short of the target. That's the word sin. In the New Testament it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, what's it mean? We came short of a relationship with Him. Basically, 
to sin. There's another scripture in Isaiah that says, All of us like sheep have wandered off from the shepherd. We've all turned our back on God. That's sin. The opposite of sin is embracing God. And here comes Abraham, and he believed in God. And God accounted it to him as righteousness. See, the exact opposite of turning your back on God is embracing God. And so what, the, the, the first part here is saying, how do we have a relationship with God? Is it by being good people and doing good things? No. If it was that, Abraham could brag about being real super religious. No, no, no. What this man had was simply based on friendship and a relationship with God. He put his trust in him. We think of faith, we always think of it in the religious kind of a setting. But my little grandson saw me on Friday night. I've been gone for a couple of weeks on a trip. And he, and he makes his little gaga noise for grandpa and comes running up to me. What's he saying? I trust you. It's like that, that we come to God with arms extended. I trust you. I, I believe in you. You mean well by me. Let's go on here. And it says, in verse 4, it talks about righteousness and faith. It says, when people work, their wages are not a gift. Now, what would happen if some Friday your boss came up to you and said, I have a present for you. And you go, oh, wow, what'd you get for me? And he, he reaches in his pocket and he acts as real magnanimous and he pulls out your paycheck and he hands it to you. Here's my present. And you go, that's not a present. You owe me that. <laughs> See, we, we, we work for, for, for wages. Gifts are something that are given freely. The New Testament in another place says that the wages of our sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. The wages of our sin is death. See, I turned my back on God. What did I earn? Well, separation from God forever. Spiritual death. I got what was coming to me. I got what I, what I worked for. I, I, I wanted to not have a relationship with God. I didn't want Him controlling my life. And so that's what I get out of life. But it says, the gift of God is eternal life. Not someday when you die, but starting right now. You enter into this forever relationship with God. And so here it says, when people work, their wages are not a gift. Workers earn what they receive. But people are declared righteous. There's that phrase again, declared righteous. Deposited in their account, righteousness. Because of their faith, and then circle the word not, because of their work. You could write down this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Where the Bible says, that for by grace have you been saved, not of, of works. That it's, it's a gift of God. It comes through faith. No man can boast about it. Verse 6, King David spoke of this, describing the happiness of an undeserving sinner who is declared to be righteous. There it is again, declared to be righteous. Righteousness deposited in this person's account. Verse 7, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Next to the word forgiven, write the word forsaken, because that's what it means there. God forsakes your disobedience. See, to me, forgiveness is a, is, a, is a balanced equation. You do something wrong, and then you come and say, I'm sorry, and then I say, I forgive you. Right? You kind of earn my forgiveness. With God, you're putting your trust in Him. You're just relaxing in Him, and He's willing to say, I'm not even going to deal with the wrong anymore. I'm forsaking it. I'm, I'm just counting it gone. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't exist. Now, I, I don't know who you are or what kind of regrets that you have in your life. I don't know how many times you play old videotapes in the back of your brain of things that you wish that you hadn't done. And you'd like to go back and, and kind of delete the file and start over. But God deletes the file in terms of the knowledge of old things. He forsakes the past. He deletes the file. He moves on with you 
into fresh new life is what the Bible is saying. It talks about those whose sins are put out of sight. And the word put out of sight there, you could write down the word covered. Or here's another big fancy theological word, atonement. You could write the word atoned. Now, we talked about this just a few weeks ago. Do you remember uh, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament? It was this box that was all fancy, overlaid with gold. And inside the box were some things that were symbols of God's relationship with the people of Israel. And one of the things that was in the box was the Ten Commandments. And the idea being that none of us have ever kept the Ten Commandments. It says don't lie. It says don't covet. Well, we've all done that. And, uh, and, and so the, 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 the law accuses us. The law points the bony finger in your face and says, you're a sinner. And they would have this idea of an of a, of a animal sacrifice. Now, we think animal sacrifice, and you think some weird religious thing. I got a whole new insight into this this last week. Uh, a week ago, I was in Mongolia, and twice they killed a goat in our honor and cooked the thing. And we all ate it. It's exactly what you see in the Old Testament uh, system. They, these people are shepherds, and they live off of sheep and goats and cows and yaks. You know what a yak is? It's a cow with a sweater, you know? Um, oh, man, I've got to tell you a story at the end of the message today. I've got some pictures I'll bring next week, but I've got to tell you a story about a yak. Um, but anyway, we're, we're there, and, and twice they, to honor us, they, they killed a goat. And once I had to watch it, and that wasn't a pleasant thing. I, they, they had a big leadership deal. The last night I was in Mongolia, we all get out in this, it looked like a park. It's just wide open spaces, and... and uh, and they build a fire, and I think we're going to cook hot dogs, you know. And, and I'm supposed to teach this seminar. I've got about 50 leaders, and I'm supposed to teach this thing about mini-church. How do you do mini-church? And I mean, very odd. I'm in a church that's a very, I mean, very, very poor people, but very sophisticated. The, the, doc, the pastor's a doctor. He's trained in nuclear medicine. His wife's a dentist. And most of the, of the city congregation are medical personnel. There's all kind of doctors and professional people in this church. They're planting churches far off out in these, these towns in the country, and most of the people there are shepherds. And so you see this vast difference in lifestyle. But I'm teaching this thing, and they set up to kill the goat. It would be like me standing here in the back of the room. They're over there doing in the goat. And I'm just doing this. I don't want to see it. But, they, but this is a part of their life. And so they had this, this annual sacrifice to the Passover. And they would bring the blood of this newly sacrificed or killed lamb that they were going to barbecue. And they'd sprinkle the blood on this little tray on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the idea is that as though we as a nation are acknowledging our sin. And we should die for our sins, but the animal died in our place. And the blood of the animal stands between us. The sacrifice stands between us and the law that would accuse us. Somebody died so we could live. That's the, the picture. And it's a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. And so it says here, happy is the person whose sin is covered. In other words, God doesn't even look at it. God doesn't see it anymore. He's, he's forgotten the wrong that you've ever done. It goes on and says, Yes, uh, what joy for those whose sin is no longer counted against them. That means the person who's declared not guilty by God. God can look at you and accept you the way that you are and, and forgive you and let you move on and go forward. Well, drop down to verse 20. And it talks about Abraham. And, and, uh, and as, as we go to verse 20, I, I want you to think of this process. Now, Abraham is wanting a son. And so God makes him a promise at a physical level. I'm going to do the thing that you're asking for. And then God says, Abraham is a righteous person because Abraham put his confidence in God. And then God goes on to promise him that I'm going to bless all the people in the world through this person that I bring into your life and this whole nation of people that I bring to you. 
And, and so we see that Jesus actually becomes, and we're going to read about it here at the end, the sacrifice for everybody's sin. And God has this plan. I want you to think of this, this one, two, three kind of a deal, that we come with a point of physical need. God uses the need to bring us to himself. And then thirdly, in, in, in the, the blessing that he gives us, he wants to reach out and bless other people. You know, if you're looking for a job, if you're looking to start a business, and God wants to bless you, he wants to, he wants to bless you, because you have need in your life. He wants to bless you in a way that draws you closer to Him, but He wants to bless you in a way that He can use your blessings to bless other people. Does that make sense? Everything that we have, you know, we think of everything belongs to the Lord, and so often we think of that in some sort of a, we get a sour look on our face and look all drawn and go, oh, everything I have belongs to you. Real religious, you know. No, God wants bounty in your life. God wants to bless you, but in blessing you, He wants to spill over and bless other people. And so this is what Abraham looked for, and he becomes the model to us. God wants to grace our lives. Well, go on to verse 20. Abraham never wavered. Talks about faith that grows stronger. Underline those words, never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Underline those words, faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced, underline those words, absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, and here it says it again, God declared him to be righteous. Now, don't you feel kind of condemned when you read these words? I mean, here's the deal. Abraham never wavered, do you? Abraham's faith grew stronger. How's yours? Abraham was absolutely convinced. Are you? You know, I, I look at this and I, I, I just wilt. It's like, oh my gosh. I, Abraham is this, this titan of faith, this superman of faith. And, and here's me. One day I'm hot and one day I'm cold. Does anybody identify? How many of you are more like Abraham than you're like me? Raise your hand. How many of you are more like me than you are like Abraham? Raise your hand. Until you look at the life of Abraham. Abraham starts really well. You know, he, he, he finally encounters God. And God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to this and that and the other thing. And, and then Abraham uh, goes out and, and he's got this wife, Sarah. I'm going to bless your wife, Sarah, with a child. And Abraham goes on down into Egypt and Sarah's a babe. And the Egyptian king likes to include pretty women in his harem. And uh, this guy Abraham is going, tell him you're my sister, man, because he'll kill me to get you. So right away, he's not trusting the Lord. He's trusting his scam that he can pull. The next thing you know, He's got this nephew named Lot. And, and a few years goes by and God hasn't exactly come through real fast. And Abraham starts to tell God, hey, look, you know what? I know those promises you made to me and I know you're having a hard time with it. And she's old and I'm old. And, you know, well, we'll just adopt Lot and we'll call him our son. And, and we'll just call the deal square, Lord. Now, is that faith or, you know, what is that? That's what you call unbelief. Next thing you know, uh, by the way, that one costs him a whole bunch of real estate and a bunch of money. It's a lot better to just trust in the Lord and go with it and, than it is to try to make things happen ourselves. And then you see Abraham is really up and, and this gang of thugs comes and they, they kidnap Lot and his neighbors and everything and do this horrible thing. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of men that come and do this raid and Abraham takes his 400 guys and goes out and whacks them. In the name of the Lord, we'll, just, we'll win this. And, and there's super faith. And the next thing you know after that is God still hasn't given him the child. And so Abraham and his wife come up with a, this idea. She has this servant girl that works for her. And Abraham will just go have sex with her and have a child. And then they'll pretend it's Sarah's child. And so he does that. And he creates the problem that's going on in Israel today. 
the whole Mediterranean world is up in smoke because of, of these two offspring of Abraham, uh, Ishmael and Isaac, and, and they have never gotten along ever since. But then he gets a lot of domestic problems going because his wife forever is jealous because of his relationship with this servant girl, Hagar. And a- Abraham is, is he's worse than you or I. He's worse than you or I. But look what it says here. Look at God's view of Abraham. Because that's really what you're getting. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And over time, it really did. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, God declared him to be righteous. Well, what is that? Is that an inconsistency in the Bible? No, that's the mercy of God. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe.